welcome to the podcast Water X Future, presented by Aquaporin. We are Mette Mølgaard and Josefine Auderas, and we will be your hosts in this new podcast series. Aquaporin is a water technology company based in Denmark, working with a nature-based technology to preserve our water. In this podcast, we will dive deep into the matters that are close to our hearts. Water and all the opportunities and dilemmas it contains, technologies rooted in nature, the purpose of innovation and the spectrum between science and humans. In this first episode, we will discuss clean water and the global access to clean drinking water. We talk to Maline Bjerg Beitzel, who is project manager for water, circular economy and climate adaptation at State of Green. Tina Jørgensen, who is global project manager for reverse osmosis at Aquaporin and Masfries Andersen, who is Head of Forward Osmosis Product Development. Welcome! Water is essential to all life on Earth, yet the clean water crisis is one of the greatest issues facing the world today. 71% of the Earth's surface is covered by water. Less than 1% of that is safe to drink, and 1 in 3 does not have access to safe drinking water. 18% of disease outbreaks in Europe are linked to water, and only 55% of Europeans drink water directly from the tap. This is why the Sustainable Development Goal 6, Clean Water and Sanitation, was created. By 2030, the United Nations wants to ensure access to safe and affordable drinking water for all. But how big is this water crisis? And how far are we from reaching SDG 6, Clean Water and Sanitation? To answer these questions, we're going to need some help. And that's why we talked to Marlene Bering beitzel Product Manager for Water, Circular Economy and Climate Adaptation at State of Green, a company who works to secure water for a growing world. Marlene, thank you for joining us today in this first episode of this new podcast series, Um, With 71% of the Earth's surface covered by water, how come access to clean water is such a big problem? Um, Well, first, thank you for having me, of course. Um, But also, yeah, it's a a funny question because, uh, yeah, 70% of the world is covered in water. But but when you look into uh, what is actually available for us to use for drinking water, it's... uh, it's only 3% that is actually freshwater quality, as we call it. And out of that 3%, it's, it's closer to uh, 1% that's actually fit for human consumption. And this, that's due to, um, well, a lot of it being salt water that's covered the earth. So um, that's difficult for us to drink and very, very expensive and energy intensive for us to clean. Um, but we also have uh, processes, industrial processes around the world that has polluted uh, some of our freshwater resources. So, so the state of the union, or how do you say, the state of the of the water world is really that it's uh, it's one percent that's that's available and fit for human consumption. And then we can sort of think to ourselves, why why is this a problem? We still have one percent that's ready available for consumption, more or less. But we're also seeing a rising in population, and and that requires rising in 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 production, industrial and agricultural production, both uh, demanding clean water. Clean water is is necessary for us to ensure uh, human health. It's uh, necessary for us to ensure health of economies and nations. 
we see an increase in, in what's referred to uh, climate displacement or water refugees, uh, where people are in motion simply um, fleeing uh, areas where water scarcity is, is so high that the, that the availability is next to nothing. And that's, that's due to, uh, for example, climate change. We see uh, a decrease uh, in readily available sort of uh, freshwater resources, glaciers, rivers, lakes, are are highly affected by by climate change. So so all in all, uh, our our freshwater resources is, is somehow uh, threatened and and decreasing with climate change. And at the same time, we live in a world where population and demand for water is increasing. So it's um it's a important uh, question and problem that that's been risen and and that we need to a challenge that we of course need to meet. Can you also give us some examples on how we experience this water crisis differently in the global north and the global south? I'm not too too big a fan of actually uh, talking about uh, north or south. I think uh, the the challenge is is very much based on climate and and we're more than seeing north and south so, sort of dichotomy. We're seeing more a, a climate-enforced water-stressed belt. So you see particularly sort of Uh, Africa and and India and uh, and you see parts of uh, Central and North America that that have this sort of climate uh, enforced uh, how do you say water uh, water availability problem or how do you say so it's north and south is difficult to talk about but I think there's there's climate uh, enforced differences in in the water challenge and then it's also there's actually uh, Although that you you can sort of say these are are hit these areas are hit more than than other areas. Um, this the challenges are, are sort of the same if you look at it in a in a simple way. It's it's either there's too little water and you experience droughts, or there's too much water and you experience a lot of precipitation and a lot of floods. And we see this in in Bangladesh, and we see floods in yeah in in Europe, northern Europe. We see floods in California, where water scarcity has been a, an issue for for some time, so so it's a similar a similar challenge uh, in that sense. Um, but of course, you see this sort of, as I mentioned, the water stressed belt where droughts are, are far more prone than than it has been, for example, in in northern Europe. Although we had uh, experienced a drought not too many years ago, so it's um, it's a It's not necessarily a north and south dichotomy. I think it's uh, also an issue about infrastructure and investment. So um, making sure that you, making sure that you, of course, uh, protect and preserve the f the water that's available um, requires uh, infrastructure, technology, and institutional situation, institutional um, organizations that support this. And it's also about uh, cleaning the wastewater that's actually produced from uh, from us humans uh, using the water, so that it's not being discharged back into nat nature uh, uncleanly, because that well pollutes the freshwater resources. And then we're sort of back to square one, where we don't have clean water to drink. So, so infrastructure and investment is is probably more more the center of of that issue. I believe it's not that it's sort of necessarily money prone obviously um uh, investments are uh, are more likely in in high income uh, countries but you still see high income countries where uh, the infrastructure and 
an investment hasn't taken place and where where uh, wastewater is, is isn't being treated uh, before it's being released or isn't being treated probably before it's being released so according to the international water association it's only 75 countries in the world that monitor and report the wastewater treatment only 24 out of these countries actually treat the wastewater safely before it's being discharged so so there's a lot of uh, unclean water being released into uh, our cleaner waters. What is being done to solve this water crisis? Well, for one, I think awareness is a, a very, very important thing, and that's created by global organizations such as, well, International Water Association or uh, the United Nations that many of you might know. They also create awareness, particularly on March 22nd, which is World Water Day. And this year, the focus was very much about valuing water. Um, so, of course, making sure that we clean the water, uh, probably we conserve the water that we have, we protect the water that we have. Um, and next year, uh, the focus on World Water Day is uh, on groundwater, which is uh, a good reason as as the use of groundwater actually is uh, uh, is less groundwater is less vulnerable to to the climate change uh, issues that i that I mentioned earlier and then of course there's uh, uh, sdg six which is uh, which is paramount and and in creating this awareness but also uh, creating the the actual implementation of, of uh, good ideas. It's encouraging entrepreneurs and in innovators around the world to find solutions uh, to, uh, to prevent water scarcity by protecting, conserving, cleaning and, and reusing the water. So that's what's being done currently now, yeah. Now you already mentioned SDG 6 and how far are we actually in achieving SDG 6? Oh, that's a... Uh... That's a tough and interesting question. So uh, the goal was, uh, I think, set for, for 2030 and uh, we're in 2021 now. So um, so there's not too much time left. Um, I think uh, a lot of progress has been made since the SDGs started. Um, but when I just looked into the status of it all, actually, uh, for this uh, podcast and, uh, and time spending with you, I... I I looked into uh, to some of the status reports of the United Nations and and it seems that there's uh, still some way to go. Um, uh, I read one place that um, in order to ensure the access to potable water, so uh, clean drinking water, which is uh, one of the which is the main issue of uh, SDG six, um, we'll need to quadruple the current efforts by uh, to be able to reach uh, the target by by 2030 um, and the same goes actually for access to uh, safely managed sanitation services uh, efforts also need to be quadrupled um, by 2030 so so there's uh, we're back to the whole uh, infrastructure and investment issue um, is that uh, uh, more more investments and more efforts needs to be put in for us to be able to to reach the 2030 goal uh, of SDG 6. Um, but that said, and also going back to sort of the dichotomies that we spoke about earlier, um, it's you can say that sort of high-income countries tend to have sort of a more linear water system and an infrastructure that's already in place where imp the potential for improvements to sort of efficiencies uh, is is where uh, water 
stress and water security can be can be uh, uh, dealt with and handled and uh, whereas um sort of in with lack of access and services uh, to um to uh, to uh, water and sanitation uh, for example in low income countries there's really a great potential for uh, new innovative and relevant technologies and institutional approaches um so it's there's a, there's there's a lot of potential that that's uh, definitely out there and uh, although it may vary between uh, regions and and countries So it is fair to say that we are far from reaching SDG 6. That is uh, very fair to say that we are in a bit of a rush, definitely. Maline, thank you so much for joining us today in this first episode of the podcast. You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. As Maline says, we are far from reaching the SDG 6, but there are many who are working on solutions to tackle this problem. One of them is the Danish company Aquaporin, and now we're visiting Aquaporin. Since 2005, Aquaporin has been working on a technology to make an Aquaporin-based water filter to purify water for all of us to help meet civilization's growing demand for clean water. Aquaporins are proteins, which were discovered by physician scientist Peter Agra, who found an elusive water channel. It soon became clear he had discovered only the first of what we now know is a whole family of aquaporins found in virtually every organism on Earth. Mads Fries Andersen, head of Forward Osmosis product development at Aquaporin, explains the vision of Aquaporin while we're walking through their huge entrance hall, the laboratory and the showroom. We're trying to figure out what kind of solutions there are on the markets to solve this water crisis. So uh, we're standing here in uh, based in our reception in Aquaporin, and uh, we have a spinning uh, 3D animation here that, that this is what everything is about here. So this is Aquaporin protein that we see here. Um, so it's not something that we invented, something nature invented. Um, so uh, what you see is uh, basically what's called an alpha helix structure, um, where water is transported in and out of this structure in nature, in all human and plants and all animals to um, regulate the water intake in the cell. So nature spent billions of years uh, of evolution to to develop this ideal water channel, because only water can penetrate this water channel. Everything is is kept uh, out. Okay. Um, so it's basically uh, the, it's a, a crazy, crazy thing in many ways, because only one uh, H2O molecule can pass this water channel at a time. So it's like in Netto uh, or in a supermarket uh, where there's only one line open and there's a huge queue uh, basically throughout the whole supermarket. But that's how it is here. They have to queue up each H2O molecule okay. to pass the water channel. So it's a slow process or? It depends. Um, uh, in nature, uh, one gram of aquaporin protein can transport 700 liters of water per second. Okay. So that's an massive amount of water. Um, So this is the potential of using nature's aquaporins in producing water. Um, so, as I said, we didn't invent this, uh, nature did, but we didn't even discover it either. It was discovered by an American professor called Peter Agra in 1993. And to tell something about the significance of his discovery and nature's invention, 
uh, he actually won the Nobel Prize for it in 2003. Uh, and that actually created the idea about using this ingredient from nature in a, in a human-made filter. So Aquaporin, as a company, was founded in 2005. Okay. So can you as well say what the vision of Aquaporin is? What is the aim of the company? The aim is two things, first of all. We need to mimic nature and utilize this great invention, uh, invention nature gave us in Aquaporin protein. That's basically one leg of the company. Uh, the other leg is that uh, we, they could now nature spent millions of years of evolution doing that. We only spent 16 years here, um, so that could take some time. So the other leg of the company is like we, we like to push this green uh, movement and more sustainable movement using um, our technology as it is, because we believe it's strong enough already as it is to yeah, create more attention of uh, how we preserve the most valuable ingredient in the world being water. And then I suggest that we then move on to the laboratory, where you can see a bit more how we actually, in practical uh, terms, are utilizing aquaporin protein in our membrane. Okay. Please follow me. So now in our laboratory. So this is, uh, yeah, as any other laboratory you see in, in, in movies or in universities or in, in other companies, all white, people wearing lab coats, glasses and gloves, and they're pipetting small liquids. So this is basically a biotechnology at its best. So um, Denmark is quite strong in biotechnology. So this is also how we started as a company. The idea, as I've explained before, was we'd like to take the uh, ingredient from nature, the aquaporin protein, and then take it out of nature and, uh, and put it into a filter. But before we do that, we need to stabilize it. Because like when you take uh, this uh, component uh, out of the cell membrane, the aquaporin protein, it's actually fragile. So basically, it's, it likes it, the environment as it is in nature. But when we take it out, um, we cannot. We have to store this aquaporin protein on ice, for instance. We cannot shake it. Uh, we cannot put pressure or any chemicals to it. Then it basically falls apart, you could say. Okay, so it's actually very vulnerable. Exactly, okay. and sensitive in the early stage. So the whole um, core technology is actually how you take it from nature, this aquaporin protein, but then how you stabilize it and make it happy and function again after. Now we move from the laboratory into our showroom, where we're going to talk a bit more uh, about the two product lines we're having, where we're utilize, utilizing the aquaporin protein, um, and you can also see and feel a bit more about how, how our product looks. So just to kind of set the scene, that we are basically uh, just in front of the reception in a, in a hall where we have something like 20 meter uh, height to the, to the roof. And then uh, we're standing in front of a, a setup with uh, some liquids uh, and some piping and some tubing. So this is uh, one of our product portfolios being forward osmosis. So it's a water technology that um, is inspired by nature. It's a bit like we're taking the aquaporin ingredient from nature and try to put that into a human-made filter. Then we are again inspired by nature here. So forward osmosis works like a, a similar that a tree is transporting water. So um, if you have a tree, there are some salt at the leaves, which gives osmotic pressure, as it's called, but there's no salt at ground level. So nature thinks, oh, there's a difference in salt concentration or osmotic pressure, as it's called. I'll better do something to equalize it. So that's why a, a, a lot of water is sucked from the roots to the leaves to dilute that salt concentration, to balance out the, the salt concentration. Okay. And then the photosynthesis comes, water evaporates from the leaves, and then the water can drink or transport some more water. So in nature, water is transported by salt or osmotic pressure. 
So uh, this is exactly how one of our product lines are working, driven by salts. We also talked to Tina Jørgensen, who is Global Product Manager for Reverse Osmosis at Aquaporin. She explains another way of purifying water called Reverse Osmosis. So the other product line we have is called Reverse Osmosis. So that's the opposite of what Mass just talked about, which was the Forward Osmosis. So forward osmosis is the natural purification of water, what happens in nature. Now reverse osmosis is actually looking at at a completely different, more energy-consuming way, where we are now using pump pressure to clean water. So um, we're looking at a bigger CO2 imprint, but on the other hand, you can increase capacities. This is a technology that has existed for, you can say, i think for the membrane industry, it's about 40-50 years. And what we have done is looking at our aquaporin inside core technology and adding that to a, an existing product portfolio, which is this reverse osmosis membrane. We have entered this industry because it's a much more mature market and this is a much bigger part of the water industry. So what we are looking at is one thing, making sure everyone has access to clean water that is in uh, regards to household water purification but also industrial water purification okay you have many places in the world where you have challenges either you have no water then you have to figure out a way to get that there are other places where you have the wrong water so you have many coastal areas where you lack clean drinking water but where you have a lot of uh, seawater seawater It contains a lot of salt, so you cannot drink that. For that purpose, you often use this reverse osmosis membrane technology um, to desalinate the water. Now, that requires much more pump pressure and everything, so in that regard, there are, there's room for improvement looking at how can we use solar power and everything else to run those pumps. Yeah, so it needs more energy. It, meet, need, uh, yeah, it needs uh, much more energy. Mm. Specifically, we don't do anything there, but what we do is looking at how can we make the membrane technology more efficient. How can we increase the flow rate in the membranes so we get more clean water out of the same products. Okay. What we have started out in Aquaporin is a long journey of development of this product category. Where we are selling right now is for residential water purification where we produce both membranes that go into home water purifiers, but we are also selling water purification systems for households. Uh, today we have two different types of these purifiers where you can either choose between an option with, that doesn't need any electricity, uh, another version that needs uh, electricity because it has a pump. Whether you need one or the other is looking at where do you live, what kind of Uh, installations do you have in your kitchen and so on and what we're aiming to do here is looking at globally almost any country is facing some sort of challenges with water either you have too much or you have too little or you have the wrong water normally when we talk to people outside the water industry and you consider Uh, the issues of water scarcity, water pollution, you often have this uh, imagine of uh, some country in Africa where they have water that's polluted, but oftentimes those issues are more related to bacteria or, um, or it's a problem where you can, I will now say simply, boil the water or use very simple treatment and then you actually have clean water. 
Yeah, so it doesn't need to be filtered it does the need, same way. Yeah. yeah, sometimes it does, but there are also many places where it's quite simple to to solve that problem if you have the money, obviously, and that's the problem. But another angle of it is in all the developed countries, including Denmark, all over Europe, the US, and so on, where we see many more chemicals in the water. So now we're not looking at stuff that can be uh, easily boiled out or removed by, uh, you could say, physical uh, separation. Now we're looking at chemistry. We're looking at leftovers from the medicine industry. We're looking at pesticides, uh, hormones, a lot of things that is now human-made factories that have let out their wastewaters, maybe not in uh, 2021, but in uh, 1980, and now it has reached our groundwater, and therefore it is now in our drinking water. And is this a growing problem? Does it get worse? It gets, it gets worse, yes. The thing is, we have to look about, in Denmark, for instance, we have to look about 30 years back. So how did we pollute our land 30 years ago? Then whatever pesticide we used 30 years ago, that has now reached the groundwater level. And now we're pumping that up and distributing it. Now I'm saying, simply speaking, because of course you don't just pump out pesticide water in Denmark, but you do uh, analysis, figure out how can we mix different water sources so we deliver water with, where the chemical levels are within the maximum level set by the European Union. How, like in general, does aquaporin contribute to the to the SDG six goal? So the SDG six, the clean water and sanitation, is concerning how do you allow everyone to have access to clean drinking water. Here we're looking at household water purification, so all consumers can get clean water out of the tap. So you don't have to go to the supermarket to buy bottled water to be sure that whatever you drink doesn't include chemicals, you can get it directly from your tap at home. And the other part is uh, our same product category, reverse osmosis for more industrial water treatment. Here we're looking at municipal drinking water. How does um, how do you treat water from a public perspective and distribute that to people? And there are probably a lot of other technologies out there on the market working towards this goal as well. But how far are we to reach this goal? It's a long way to go. I think from my perspective, when I talk to people outside the water industry, everyone is like, we need to invent something new to make make us reach this goal. I don't see a need for that. I think all the technology is already invented. I think it's a matter of getting the technology out to the people. I think we need to set the policies from a public perspective how do we ensure this on national levels or european or the american level and so on looking at it at a bigger perspective i don't think we need to facilitate much more innovation there are so many great companies out there doing so many revolutionary things a lot of them need some i wouldn't even say money but they need to be allowed to test their technologies in the real cases in Denmark saying we want to take a, a water treatment site and test out new technologies. Aquaporin's water purification has already proven successful in a test. In 2015, astronauts, among them Danish Andreas Mogensen, used aquaporin membranes to filter the water they drank in space, where it's critical to reuse water. The astronauts were able to turn every drop into water, including their own urine. 
This was the first episode of the podcast series Water X Future, presented by Aquaporin. In the next episode, we dive into the link between plastic pollution and bottled water consumption, which has grown by more than 10% a year over the last decade. What can help solve this problem? Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back soon.